Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. In Daniel chapter 9, we saw this faithful man of God repenting on behalf of his people and interceding for the Jewish nation. And in answer to those prayers, God revealed to Daniel his plans for both the Jews and their holy city, Jerusalem. The prophecy Daniel received, known as the prophecy of 77s, detailed the restoration of the holy city. But even more importantly, it spoke of the coming Messiah who would die for sins not his own, so as to reconcile us to God the Father. It was also revealed that after the Messiah's death, those who controlled that region would go on to destroy the temple and the holy city, which, of course, we know that the Romans did do in AD 70. Everything had been clearly fulfilled except for one period of seven years, which is still awaited. Since the Jewish people were finally returned to their land and their holy city in 1948, this final seven-year period may soon be fulfilled. It will begin when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with many that will likely allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. However, at the halfway point of that treaty, in other words, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, the Antichrist will break the agreement. He will put an end to the Jews' renewed worship and offering of sacrifices by placing something in the temple that Jesus himself referenced in Matthew 24 as the abomination that causes desolation. It is revealed in Revelation 13 that at that time, someone known as the false prophet, a religious leader associated with the Antichrist, will have an image of the end-time world leader erected in Jerusalem, and people will be commanded to bow down in worship of it. Those who refuse will suffer terrible consequences, and the horror will continue until the Lord himself returns to destroy the Antichrist's authority. So, with that as our background, let us continue now in chapter 10, verse 1, as Daniel receives his fourth vision. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Daniel's fourth vision occurred in the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, and that puts the date of this vision at 536 BC, when Daniel would have been 84 or 85 years old, meaning that it occurred sometime shortly after the events in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is careful to verify that its message was true and it concerned a great war. And although it evidently detailed 
Israel's great conflict that lay ahead for Daniel's people. His vision revealed the reality of a far greater war, a war in the spiritual realm that influences what happens on earth. And this war is actually the topic of the last chapters of Daniel's book. Prior to receiving this vision, Daniel had already been greatly distressed. Many months before, the first wave of Jews had returned to Jerusalem and work had begun on laying the foundation for the second temple. However, although the exiles had returned to Jerusalem with great enthusiasm, laziness and apathy had already begun to eat away at their determination. They had become more focused on building their own house rather than on building the house of the Lord. And Ezra, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, reports that arguments had actually stopped the work on the temple. Daniel was grief-stricken at the thought that the plans of God seemed to be frustrated at this point, and the timing could not have been more disappointing to him. Daniel 10 verse 4 explains that all this took place during the first month of the Hebrew year, in other words, around the time of Passover, a religious holiday that was very important for the Jewish people. There'd been much anticipation of celebrating Passover once again in Jerusalem, but without a completed temple, they would not have been able to make the necessary offerings to the Lord. So no wonder Daniel was so grieved at the delays occurring in Jerusalem. He began to fast and pray as he mourned over the plight of the holy city, seeking God's wisdom and understanding with all his heart. During that time, he allowed himself no choice food, meat or wine, and he even refused to use lotions on his skin. I know that particular detail may sound odd to us, but it simply indicates that he was also foregoing normal comforts and routines in order to focus on prayer. After he'd been fasting and praying for three weeks, on the 24th day of the month, as I was standing on the banks of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold around his waist. His body was like crystallite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Daniel was with others beside the Tigris River when he had the vision, and although his companions could not see what Daniel saw, they were very well aware of a powerful presence which was so overwhelming to them that they had to flee, seeking to hide themselves in sheer terror. Look at how this man is described. He is dressed in linen, which in prophecy is always a reference to purity. A belt of finest gold was around his waist. His body was like crystallite. It had the appearance of a light gold-colored precious jewel that sparkled. 
In fact, Daniel tells us more about his radiant appearance. His face was like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs shone like highly polished bronze. Though he was truly glorious in appearance, his voice was even more marvelous. It was powerful, like nothing Daniel had ever heard before. Who is this mighty one? Well, many believe that this is an appearance of Christ himself. John describes a similar individual and a similar vision in Revelation 1 verses 13 to 15. That individual appeared to John as someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of rushing waters. However, in John's revelation, the man identifies himself as Christ, the first and the last, the living one who was dead and now is alive forevermore. There is no doubt as to who he was. Just as Christ appeared to John, before giving him a revelation of great importance, it seems that Christ appears here to Daniel before an important revelation as well. No wonder the men fled and Daniel had no strength left. No wonder his face turned deathly pale and he felt so helpless. As Daniel heard him speak, though he was aware of everything that was taking place, it was as if he fell into a deep sleep with his face to the ground. In verse 10, Daniel declares that a hand touched him and it is thought that it is an angel, likely Gabriel, who touched him. We'll understand why it's thought to be Gabriel rather than Christ in a moment. For now, look at verse 10. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. It seems that the man in the vision has disappeared, and it was the angel's touch that brought Daniel to his hands and knees. We're not specifically told that the angel is Gabriel, but Gabriel is a powerful angel who often brings God's message to people, and Gabriel had been the messenger in Daniel's previous visions. As before, the angel declares that Daniel is highly esteemed, which can also be translated that he is greatly beloved by God. The angel has been sent to give Daniel the understanding for which he'd been praying. And though Daniel is finally able to stand upright, he is still trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. 
The angel reassures Daniel, telling him he is not to be afraid. He confirms that God had heard Daniel's cry since the very first day he had started to fast and pray, and that God had sent his angelic messenger immediately to help Daniel understand all that troubled his heart. But the angel revealed that there had been a delay of three weeks because of a battle in the spiritual realm. He says the prince of the Persian kingdom had resisted him 21 days. However, this was no human prince the angel spoke of. Rather, it was a demonic prince that delayed the answer. In fact, the battle was so dire, reinforcements had to be called. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help Gabriel. Later, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, we'll learn that the archangel Michael stands guard over the people of Israel. How appropriate, then, that it should be Michael who is sent to aid Gabriel in bringing this message about the Jewish people to Daniel. Before we continue in Daniel's encounter with this heavenly messenger, it's important for us to consider the spiritual realm introduced here that is usually invisible to our eyes. Scripture makes it plain that Satan does have influence over earthly kings. For example, in Matthew chapter 4 verses 8 through 10, at the temptation of Christ, we learned that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said to him, all these things I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Satan could not have offered all the kingdoms of the world if they were not his to give. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it also confirms that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Satan has authority over the earthly kingdoms of men, and he has had that power since Adam's fall. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul reminds Christ followers that before coming to Christ, we once followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The Greek word used for air in that text means the atmospheric region over the earth. Satan's influence is found in the realm around the earth, and he's the one at work in those who are disobedient to God. We too were once under Satan's control, and as such, we were under God's wrath. But by coming to Christ, we've been cleansed by his blood, and we are now children of God. And though we live in the world, as Christians, we are not of it anymore. We learn more about Satan in Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 11 through 19 where God is speaking to the king of Tyre but it quickly becomes apparent that he's not only speaking to the man he's also speaking to Satan who is working through him because God declares of Satan in Ezekiel 28 verses 12 through 13 you were the model of perfection 
full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So apparently at one time, Satan was perfect, full of wisdom and beauty. Then God continues in verse 14 of Ezekiel 28 to reveal that Satan was anointed as a guardian cherub, which is a powerful type of angel, and that he was on the holy mountain of God where he walked among the fiery stones, meaning that he was allowed into the very presence of God. Verse 15 through 17 of the chapter in Ezekiel continues, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth." Notice that according to verse 15, Satan is a created being. He is not God's equal. He would like us to think that he is God's equal opposite, but God is the creator and Satan is merely the created. He once was perfect, but angels also have free will, and at some point, Satan gave himself over to wickedness. He was cast out of the presence of God to the earth because of his pride. Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15 confirms Satan's fall from favor, which was the result of his pride, because there God declares, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the dawn! You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to into heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you were brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Do you notice all the I statements Lucifer or Satan made about himself? He was focused on becoming greater than God. As a result, he was cast out of heaven and scripture tells us that many angels fell with him in his rebellion against God. It is these fallen angels, these demonic forces under Satan's command that now have influence over the earth. And as the people of God, we are to stand against them. Paul calls us to action in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. 
Paul makes it known that the devil does indeed have schemes and that we are to stand against them in the power that God will give us. Our day-to-day struggle is not really against people, against flesh and blood, but it is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a hierarchy of spiritual forces that exercise authority and power over different aspects of life and even over different regions of the planet. And in the case of Daniel, the prince of the Persian kingdom who resisted the angel 21 days was in fact the demonic overlord associated with the region of Persia. These demons are still active today, but thankfully Ephesians chapter 1 verses 21 to 22 also says that Jesus is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and that all things have been put under Christ's feet. No evil force is superior to Christ, and as those who belong to Jesus, we can rest assured of our protection and our victory against evil in the end. For greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The angel in Daniel chapter 10 knows that if Daniel is to understand what is about to happen on earth, he will need to understand some of the heavenly warfare behind it, and so do we. Let's look again then at what the angel tells Daniel in verses 12 through 13. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Verse 15 then tells us how Daniel responded. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. As the spiritual battle was revealed to Daniel, he was speechless, unable to respond. But the one who looked like a man did not wish him to remain so, and Daniel's ability to speak returned as soon as he was touched. Acknowledging his distress and his own helplessness, Daniel confessed that his own strength was insufficient to withstand the weight of the message that he was about to receive. But again, the heavenly messenger intervenes to help. Verse 18. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. 
we need to remember this. When God calls us to something, he will give us strength for the task. The angel assures Daniel that not only is he highly esteemed or greatly beloved, but also that he should not fear what he is about to hear and that he should be strong. Then he begins to reveal God's will and plan to Daniel. Verse 20. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I do, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you of what is written in the book of truth. It is revealed that after the angel helps Daniel understand this important vision, he will return to fight against the prince of Persia. Apparently, the battle was not over yet. The demonic authority over the land of Persia was still seeking to influence the politics of the region. And even after he was defeated, another demonic prince would arise. Eventually, this prince of Greece would influence different rulers. And though the human actors changed, the mission of these demonic powers behind them would remain the same, to completely destroy Israel, the people through, the people through whom the Messiah was to come. That's why it was crucial for Daniel to understand what was written in God's book of world events. In order to make sense of what is being said to Daniel, we will need to read on into the text of the next chapter. And it's important for us to remember that the chapters and verses of Scripture were not part of the original text. These were added later to help us to more easily reference different sections. So sometimes we really need to read on past the chapter breaks to make sure that we fully understand what is being said. Let's do that by looking again at chapter 10, verse 20, and then going straight on into chapter 11, verse 1. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. According to these verses, the angel sent by God says that the archangel Michael has helped him in his battles, and he identifies Michael as being Daniel's prince. In other words, Michael is the defender of Daniel's people, the Jews. Then in chapter 11, verse 1, the angel reveals to Daniel that at the beginning of Darius the Mede's reign, the angel had taken a stand to support and protect him. This is a look back for Daniel. Do you remember from chapter 6 how Darius had supported Daniel and how concerned he had been for the man of God when he couldn't prevent him from being thrown to the lions? It was because God's angelic warrior had intervened. He had stood beside Darius and supported him against the influences of the demonic forces. Darius had been a blessing to Daniel because there was a successful battle being waged in the unseen realms by the angels of heaven. This must have really opened Daniel's eyes. His deliverance from the lion's den would have taken on an entirely new dimension. This was 
was the understanding for which he had fasted and prayed. The messenger goes on in verse 2, Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia and then a fourth, who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. God's message of truth for Daniel was that three more human kings would arise in Persia and then one more would come to the throne who was far richer than those who had ruled before. Using his wealth, this king would increase his power, eventually influencing the Persian nation to rise up against the kingdom of Greece. We know through the study of history that that fourth king, known as Ahasuerus or Mighty Man, is better known to us as Xerxes, the ruler who was married to Queen Esther. And he was the one who rose up against Greece, taking on Leonidas and the 300 Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. Verse 3, Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Remember that Alexander died at the age of 33, having no heirs, and his kingdom was indeed divided up among his four generals. The text of verse 4 could also be translated that his kingdom would be broken up and parceled out toward the four points of the compass. And just as God had foretold, we know that Alexander's kingdom was uprooted and given to others. In our next lesson, We will look at chapter 11 in more depth and will learn of the wars that were fought between those who followed Alexander the Great and also, of course, the spiritual battle behind them. But for now, we can draw strength from all of this for our own lives by remembering God is on his throne. He is victorious and he is a God who reveals mysteries to those who seek him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for everything you've said to our hearts today. Thank you, Lord God, that Daniel never gave up in discouragement as he prayed, but he held on until he received the answer. Lord, I pray that we too would be faithful in prayer as we stand against these powers and principalities of this dark world. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.